0: And uh, I forgot to leave all the jokes up to ferns, so that's as good as it's going to get. Uh, you know, I studied theology in Bible college, and we did uh, biblical studies and stuff like that. One of the remarkable things about studying the Bible is uh, and studying theology is how you find that everything ties together. You can't just study one subject, you find that that subject seeps into another. And sometimes you find that, you know, if you go out of your way, to find something new and something exciting and something different that you'll make stuff up. So I just want to spend a wee bit of time tonight going over some old ground, looking at some old points um, that we all know. I'm not going to say anything that's going to be new, nothing that's going to be startling. Um, I just want to talk about things that I want us all to go, have a new appreciation for. Us all to really, at the end of the night, to go, you know what, That's, that's true, you know? And to be encouraged in our walk, it's great that we've had testimonies the last few weeks, Ethna and Graham and Ferns tonight. It's great that we've shared how God has affected our lives and how he's, in, how he's infected our lives and how he's had an impact on the friends and the families around us. That's a precious thing and it's something that we should do individually as well as corporately like this. Um, it's good to, to talk about our relationship with God and what God has done for us. It's something that you can't take away, something you can't argue against, a personal experience with God. Uh, one of the uh, that, that's basically that's what I want to speak to about tonight is a personal relationship with God. We all know it. Some people might even already start turning off thinking, oh, I know what a personal relationship with God is. But I still want us to all to to look at it afresh, to think about it in our own lives and how does it affect us? You know, I'm not talking about a buddy buddy relationship, an equal to equal relationship, I'm talking about a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. The God who threw stars into space, who created worlds. You know, it's, it's something we can't quite grasp. It's something we can't initiate ourselves. It's almost like a relationship with the queen. I think it would be amazing to have a relationship with the queen, have a friendship with her. She's been on the throne for 60 years. The stuff she's gotta know. So, I mean, she's had 60 years of private letters from ambassadors. She's had seen people come into power, presidents, prime ministers, Churchill, Tony Blair. Uh, she's seen them all. She, I mean, she would have some stories. Like, could you imagine her sitting telling you, "Oh, you remember the time Churchill did this"? That'd be amazing. That'd be fascinating. But you know what? No matter what I do, no matter what happens, you know, I could probably work circumstances that I could meet her, stalk her a wee bit. You know, go to Buckingham Palace, stand outside with a big sign. I, I could go to some award ceremony, sneak my way in. I might meet her, maybe one day and I still wouldn't be a friend with her. I wouldn't have any sort of relationship with her. There would still be a distance between us, a polite distance. And that's the same with God. There would be a distance between us. There's nothing we could do to generate some sort of movement from him. He has to initiate it. Whenever we were lost, whenever we were sinners, whenever we were dead in our sins, there was nothing about us that would reach to him. God had to take the first step. That's what I want to talk about tonight. God taking the first step. You know, it's God initiated a relationship with him. He started the ball rolling. You know, um, one of the great things about Pentecostalism, um, you know, people think of Pentecostal and they think of signs, wonders, miracles, speaking in tongues, all that sort of stuff. But one of the great things about Pentecostalism is its emphasis on a personal relationship with God and a personal encounter. It was through Pentecostalism that people started to use the phrase, do you have a testimony? It's one of the great things that we have as a heritage in the, in the Word and in, through Pentecostalism is, is that reality. that so we have that question asked to us. You know, it's, it's a well known um, that God has no grandchildren. He's only got children. So we all have to come to that point as, as, as a young person growing up in a Christian home I had to come to that point where I was not living on my parents' faith, where I was not going on the the experience in just the church, or I was not going on what was happening in the youth. I had to come to that point where I realized that I needed to meet God myself. And that's something that is important, that we all come to that place. So this is the reality I want to discuss tonight, uh, that the one true and living God wants to have a relationship with us. That's amazing, really. When you think about it, God wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to, to, to go through some head nodding, some motions, some just be here, just go away. He wants to be involved in our lives. I tell you that'll get you through things in your life if you know that God is there for you. Um, over and over in the Old Testament, there's recordings, uh, there's events, there's people's experiences um, that talk about um, God having a relationship with His people. And um, thanks to ferns, I've cut half that out. Um, so <laughs> so I'm going to skip right past the Garden of Eden. Very easy one that would be. You've got Adam. You've got God in the Garden. That would be an easy one. You've got Adam. Or yeah. Adam. You've got Abraham. You know, he was friends with Abraham. He's very close. You've got his, his promises to Isaac and Jacob and all that type of thing. Brilliant, that would be wonderful, but like I said, cutting it right out. So let's turn in the Bible to Second Samuel, if you've got it with you. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Second Samuel, that's in the Old Testament. We're going on a bit of a journey, so we're going to end up in the New. so don't, don't worry if you've only got a New Testament with you. So 2 Samuel, chapter 7. And verse 4 to 7, we're going to read. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to, unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Whereas I dwelt not in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And in all the places wherein I have walked, with all all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? Now, uh, jumping right into the middle of a story here, David has uh, uh, come to that point in his uh, career, and his throne, where he's decided he's going to build a house for God. He's looking at his palace, looking at Jerusalem, and he's, uh, decided to build a house. I was, I was actually worried this morning that uh, Pastor was, <laughs> I was going to keep turning, keep turning. <laughs> I was worried that we were going to steal my sermon there. Um, but um, David has decided in, uh, in good faith, uh, out of a, an honest desire to honor God, out of a, a love for God and a love for all that God has given him, um, he has decided that he wants to build a house for God. And. Here, God really is answering him. See, God never actually wanted a temple. He wanted a tabernacle. He wanted to dwell with the people. He wanted to be identified with people. He didn't want to be removed in one location. He wanted to be able to travel with us, to walk with us. You know, there's that, that wee part there where it said that he walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. There, it, almost, it almost echoes um, that moment in, in, uh, in Genesis where Adam and God walked in the cool of the day They can hear that desire in God's heart is to spend time with his people, is to be identified with his people. Over and over again, he's just got that, you know, but I want to be with the people. I don't want to be removed. You know, it's sad when you think about all the uh, religions in the earth, you know, and and even, you know, to a degree, well, I could say Catholicism, you know, where it has removed God and put him away behind a priest, behind something. You know, as again, as David was saying a couple weeks ago, but the the curtain in the temple being rent, you know that moment where God actually says, no, I want to be close to people. I don't want to be removed. I don't want to be complicated to the point where no one can approach me. I want to be approached. That's the God that we're coming to. This is an amazing fact. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants to have a personal relationship with us. wants to be involved in our lives, you know, but Israel comprised normal people, Jewish people, but still normal people. They mumbled, they grumbled, they got distracted. They, were, they looked back to the past, you know, going back to, you know, whenever they're traveling with their tabernacle in the wilderness. I think, I think, I, we can't know really for sure, but I could imagine God loved that moment. He's traveling with his people. When foreign tribes and countries looked at him, they seen, look, there's a people traveling with their God, walking. Oh, look, they've set up their tent. Look, right at the heart of their campment, there's God. There's something about that right at the heart. That was his desire. You know, it says in Psalm 103 verse 7, it said that God revealed his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. You know, Moses is known as the meekest man who ever lived. He's also called a friend of God. And I think really Moses knew God. Moses knew God's desires. He knew his plans. He knew God's promises for the people. He knew God's character. He knew his attributes. He knew everything that he could do. He knew God. He had a relationship with him. Do you remember back in uh, in the Old Testament there where it spoke about uh, the tent of meeting and that Moses would go out from the camp and he would go to the tent of meeting and this was, tent was designed just to meet with God and he would have those meetings with him. There's something about that personal, one-on-one, face-to-face meeting with God. But the children of Israel, on the other hand, they had about as much of God as they wanted. He wanted a relationship with them. He wanted to be their God. He wanted to be their provider. But they were never happy. The pillar of fire, too hot. Pillar of cloud, you're spoiling my tan. And the manna, the heavenly food, wasn't exciting enough. (laughs) But still, God wanted a relationship. You know, it's remarkable over and over again, like I said, throughout the Old Testament there. You'll see times where God has spoke to the people. He's called out to them. You know, the kingdom was divided and that type of thing. God was still calling out to them. He was sent to them through his prophets, I don't want religious forms. I don't want you to go through the motions. I don't want you just to go in, pay your tithe and leave. He says, I want want their heart. He actually promises them that one day he'll give them a new heart. So I love uh, in the Old Testament the prophets, the words of the prophets. The uh, prophets, the priest went to God on behalf of the people, took their cares and their worries and their stresses and their problems to God. But the prophet was the man that God had selected, that God had shaped, that God had molded, that God had trained. He was the man that God used to take his word to the people and take his desires. So if we could turn in the Bible to Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Now what's the favorite verse that everyone loves in Jeremiah? Anyone know it? Everyone loves Jeremiah 29:11. So if you find that, turn 20 verses to the left to Jeremiah 9. <laughs> Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. And it says, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. You know, it's almost, it echoes back to Fern's head there. He's not boasting. You know, boast not in riches, boast not in worldly wisdom, boast not in strength. God knows that these things end, These things end. they run out, come to an end. Worldly wisdom will only take you so far. There's, some, there's always going to be someone wiser, there's always going to be someone smarter, but it'll never take you to heaven, it'll never get you into a relationship with God. Strength fails, you have an injury, you never quite heal. Trust me, I'm getting old, I know. <laughs> Riches, well, don't need to talk about that. We all know that that runs out. We all know that these things, even all those three things, don't even satisfy us. They've got an end. But in verse 24, but let him who boasts, let him that glories, glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You know, there's something eternal about God something limitless, he never changes. It's better to be confident in something, someone that doesn't change. In a relationship with them, through our knowledge and relationship with God, we change. Just like if you were to get to know the queen, I guarantee you that we'd all change. Maybe some of us would be going around guessing, going, guess who I've been talking to today? Guess who I, whose corgis I was feeding, you know? Uh, <laughs> Maybe we would um, sort of dress a little bit differently. Maybe we'd start talking a little bit differently. Maybe we, you know, it just would happen. It would be natural. So too talking to God. Something about us, our character, our personality, things like th- things that are rough, things that are um, things that we uh, we need to change. Change whenever we get to know God. We would get to spend time with Him. He cre- He creates in us a new character, a new Personality, sometimes in your personality, <laughs> we become distinctive, become a breed apart, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. The Bible speaks of, you know, whenever you look into the face of God, into the face of eternity, you know, your perspective changes, your values change. It speaks in the Bible there of setting your affections on things above, and that's what happens whenever you get into a relationship with God. Um, I heard someone once said that uh, my sermons are like chickens with their heads cut off. Once you think the sermon is done, it jumps up back up and runs in another direction. <laughs> I thought David would appreciate that one. Um, so i don't want to stick i don't want to stick in the Old Testament because this isn't uh, we're not an Old Testament church. we're a New Testament church. We have a living relationship with a living God. so I want to look at a few points in the New Testament. I want to look at three steps that God took in particular in the New Testament. So we can turn to John chapter one. Um, If anyone remembers, I love the book of John. Uh, John chapter one, with with its grandeur, its uh, its overhead view of the gospel. John chapter one, and verse number one. I'm gonna, yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And jump down to verse 9, and it says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man, that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, of the father full of grace and truth i said every uh, amen every time that um, olivia said that in the, the play there at christmas it was like amen that's a wonderful truth isn't it god just didn't remain r- removed he didn't just remain in a cloud or a shining pillar that he came and he actually dwelt with us he came and it says tabernacled in flesh he put up a tent and there he was he was with us again that's amazing the fact that god became a man, he walked among us again. You know, um, there's an analogy I heard a few years ago. I'm sure you've heard various versions of it, um, which I think it's, it's, it's a shocking analogy. It's about the planet of dogs. Can um, you imagine, we we can't quite comprehend how far God has come to reach us. It doesn't make sense to us. How God in his limitlessness and in his infiniteness would limit himself. The, anal- the analogy of the planet of dogs goes along the lines of we're sitting and there's a planet in that northern sky, we're looking at it, and it's a planet full of dogs, and I, I say to Ken, to Ken, I want you to go to that planet of dogs and I want you to tell them that I love them. Ken's no problem. He looks at the Planet of Dogs and there's Alciations and Dobermans and Rottweilers and all sorts of dogs. They're all barking and chomping and biting on each other and he says, I'll take a stick. And uh, I said, no, I want something else. I want you to go to the Planet of Dogs as a dog. But, yeah, I want you to go as a dog, to the Planet of Dogs, and tell them that I love them. But more than that, I don't want you to go as a Rottweiler. I don't want you to go as a pit bull. I want you to go as a chihuahua. That's a huge step. Now, the truth is actually that when God the Father said, sent Jesus to become a man, that he's still a man. He's in a glorified body, but he's still in a man's body. He hasn't changed. But that step, from, in, our, in that analogy's case, from a man to a chihuahua, come on. And that's a we glimpse of what God has done. The Son of God came as a baby. I would rather come as an adult if I was going to come. But he came as a baby. And I don't want to be flippant about this, or I don't want to be disrespectful in any way, but he came as a baby. He was born. He wore nappies. He was fed. He was changed. He grew up. He wore clothes that were too big for him. He had his hair cut. He had bruises. He had cuts when he fell. He was a child. He, was, he grew up into an adult. He went through the teenage years. Oh. It's remarkable to think that God became a man and walked among us, and he grew up like we grew up. He, was on, he wasn't on solid foods. He eventually was on solid foods. You know, that's it. What? This is God we're talking about. He did that so that he could have a relationship with us, so that we could look at him and we could have a connection, I, I always imagined, you know, um, Jesus walking along and, you know, it's, it's shocking if you think about it. He was the creative agent of the universe. He was the one actually who created everything. He's walking along. Oh, there's a palm tree. I remember creating those. There's a donkey. It was easier to make than it is to ride, you know. He, he got tired, so he slept. He got hungry, so he ate. He was a man. That was his first step he took a wonderful step to take and that was all he took, but he went beyond that. Stephen King, is it JK Rowling? Whatever. Tolkien, Clancy, all those sort of fictional fantasy writers can't think of anything more amazing than the fact that God became man, that God became man. There's nothing more surprising and the truth is nothing is more argued about in theological circles and argued about by this world than the fact that God became man. There's so many heresies and so many things that went on in the early church that argued, said he was, well, he seemed like God. He just had a nice face. You know, they, he was possessed by a spirit of God. He wasn't actually, so many times they argue about it because they can't really grasp it. But the truth is that God became man. You know, we love to call him the son of God because for us, that's like great, he's amazing. He's the son of God. And so he was. But at the same time, his favorite title was the Son of Man because he wanted to identify with us. He wanted to reach out to us. He wanted to cross that bridge. So step two, if you, sounds like I'm doing a a project here or something. Uh, So the next step God took to have a relationship with us, um, we won't turn to it, but I'll I'll actually just read these off for you. Um, I've already been speaking only five minutes already, so. it's at Matthew nine and Luke five, it says, uh, "People talking about Jesus and about the people he spent his time with. they do that, talk about people. Uh, they were saying, Why has he, he spent all his time with publicans and sitters? And he said, "When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick." In Matthew 11:19 uh, and Luke 7:34, it says, The Son of Man is come eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of publicans and sinners. So he identified with us in that he was human. But he also identified with us as sinners. He spent time with us. He didn't have time for the religious people. He didn't have time for the hypocrites, for the people who uh, were self-righteous. In fact, when you look at what he said to them, quite often it was angry, because he would offend their mind in order to reveal their heart, to feel reveal what they really felt, really what they really were. But he spent his time with sinners. He spent his time with normal people. You know, my dad uh, took a wedding one time, and um, it was um, partly religious, and one part was religious, and one part wasn't religious, and uh, the religious folk actually afterwards. They, one of them came up to him, put his arm around him, and said, um, "Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're a Christian for marrying this couple? Because uh, one was one was saved and one wasn't." And my dad was like, so, "Well, at least they're getting saved," <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, and uh, he actually says, "Sometimes he says I felt more at home with the sinners than I did with the religious crowd." You know, something honest about it. You know, about someone who's not uh, someone who's a sinner. You know they don't have any illusions to being self-righteous about going to heaven or anything out like there, but the but the righteous person, self-righteous person, they have a facade. God, in this case, Jesus, he was a sinner's friend, and the truth is we can have no better friend than Jesus, because he wanted to, to be involved with us. He ate with him, spent his time with him. Now the third step said i'm cutting this short because ferns took an extra long time. The third step was um let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter three I'm only messing ferns <coughs> Matthew chapter three and f- verse eleven to seventeen um This is uh, Jesus walking along the banks of the Jordan uh, to where John the Baptist was. And he says, "'I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, "'but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, "'whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. "'He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, "'whose fan is in his hand, "'and he will thoroughly purge his floor "'and gather his wheat unto the garner. "'But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire.' And verse 13 it says, Then he, cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, uh, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remarkable. So he came as a man and he looked like us, walked like us. He had blood, he had a heart, he had a head, he had a brain. He spent all his time with publicans and sinners and here we have him getting baptised. Why did he need to be baptized? He hadn't committed a sin. It said there in the first verse, it said, the bapt- John's baptism is called the baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't have none to repent of. He hadn't sinned. Jesus who knew no sin, but he wanted to have a relationship with you and me. That was why he did it. Because he wanted to event- identify with repentant sinners. So whenever we repent of our sins, we turn from our sins and repent. At that moment, we have our strongest connection with God. At that moment, when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens parted. At that moment, when he came out of the water, the dove came down and lighted upon him. And at that very moment, the father spoke and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, when he identified with repentant sinners, God said, I am well pleased. Now, that's the kind of God I can have a relationship with. He doesn't expect huge things from me. He doesn't have a high standard that I can't attain to. Well, he does, but he actually meets the standard himself. He satisfies the law's demands. He does it all so that we can have a relationship with him. the wonder of it all. The God of heaven reaches over the balcony of heaven. He reaches down to the Mary Clay, and he extends his hand to a sinner like you and me. It's the hand of forgiveness, the hand of reconciliation, it's the hand of adoption, and it's the offer of a relationship. The ramifications of that one act, of course it goes on from there to Calvary where he seals the deal, where he pays the price, where he makes it available for all men. But the truth is the ramifications of his identification with us will echo through eternity. You know, his desire for a relationship with us, it's not incidental to the plan of creation. It's not a, oh, by the way, I think I might have a relationship with them. They seem like a nice lot. It's not a side note to the story of redemption, but it's the driving force. He has always wanted a relationship with man from the Garden of Eden right through to now. And that hasn't changed. Until he comes again, he will still be offering his hand of friendship, his hand of a relationship. The testimonies we've had over the last few weeks, and I'm sure we'll have more, it's bound to be loads of people out there chomping at the bit to tell about how God has impacted their lives, how changed their lives and changed their families and whatever. The uh, that, the, the impact of God's uh, relationship with God is seen throughout the Bible As uh, from this point on. Um, I'm going to read actually from uh, the Amplified, so it will confuse you. Um, Paul, the great thinker and theologian, was by far one of the the people who definitely wrote a lot of stuff. Definitely went through a lot of stuff because of his relationship with God. Um, Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read. And I'm using a Starbucks stirrer to mark my place. (laughs) Uh, Philippians 3, and I'm going to read verse 8, 8 to you. Like I said, it's from the 8 and 9. I'm going to read it from the Amplified, because even though it's good in the King James, and um, the Amplified just seems to capture a wee bit more of... Uh, or am- it amplifies a wee bit more of what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Jesus, furthermore... Or yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege the overwhelming preciousness and surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly for his sake i have lost everything and consider it all to be more to be mere rubbish "'Refuge and dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ, the Anointed One, "'and that I may actually be found and known as in Him, "'not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, "'based on my obedience to, lo- to the law's demands, "'ritualistic and uprightness, and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, "'but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ.'" the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. The preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what a way to describe your relationship with God. Remarkable. Do we look at our relationship with God as precious, as something to be prized, as something to be protected? Do we look at our relationship with God in a way that um, we are happy to be identified with him? Paul, the apostle here, had gone through so much, traveled all over the world, we all know, the known world at that time, and he wants, to be, he wants nothing more than become um, more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Okay, that's a paraphrase, but you know what I mean? That was his desire. It's a remarkable truth that the God of heaven wants a relationship with us and he came in form just as us so that we could spend time with him. You know, the majors that we face in our life become minors when we spend time with God. Those things that seem like a mountain to me probably are a mountain to me but when I spend time with God spend time in his Word, spend time praying with him telling him my heart reading his word and getting his heart spend time with other believers talking about him spend time praising and worshiping him worshiping him with CDs and in church times like that that's a relationship we're talking to him and he's talking to you he pours in the oil and the wine and sometimes when we need it the most you know it's important that we truly know him and his ways when we spend time with him that's what happens So we join the ranks of people like Moses. Okay, maybe we're not going to be up at the top rank with Moses, but at least we can say we know God. We get to know his promises. We get to know his character, his enduring attributes, his limitless limitless power, his endless options for meeting your needs. All of those things happen when you spend time with him. Your faith builds, your hope arises. You know, we used to sing a song years ago. I'm I'm sure... a lot of people on this side of the congregation will know it. <laughs> Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Spending time with God and a relationship with God, it's, it's, it's amazing because it's open for everyone. He's extended his hand and given us a promise. He said to to us, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That's in James 4. He also promises it later on. He he promises, if we ask and it shall be given, knock and it shall be opened, seek and you shall find. So the offer is on the table tonight. If you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with God, let me assure you that God has reached out, he's done everything he can to make it easy for you. He's gone gone that extra step. He went to Calvary and paid the price. He shed his blood. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be involved with you. He wants to walk with you in your life. He wants to help you through things in your life that would wreck you, things that would shipwreck you. He wants to be there. It's not to say that everything will be a bed of roses, but that when you're with him, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And let me encourage you tonight, if you know Christ, if you're in a relationship with God, let me encourage you that it's the greatest thing. He wants nothing more than to spend time with us. There's another old song years ago. I was having a reminisce this week. You'd think I was listening to the Gaithers. Uh, But, (laughs) I'm never helping. Um, (laughs) Let me encourage you, there's that old song, it said, He grows sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. And it's true. You know, a life that is spent with Christ is defined by that. Let him define your life. Don't let him be a footnote in your life. By the way, I'm a Christian. Should be the defining characteristic of our lives. That we are seen as people who walk with God, people who know God, people who are in a relationship with God and that will be the thing that will impact our society that will impact our world you know as part of this course we're running we want people to we want people to have an encounter with God we want people to see Christ in us and in the Bible and hear hear him as he speaks to us let's just Pray. Father God in heaven Lord we worship you Lord God we worship you we thank you Lord that you're our God we thank you Lord that you have made yourself known to us that you have opened the door that you have made a wave where there was no way we thank you dear God in heaven that you are real to us Lord that you are the one true and living God. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your work in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the relationship with you, Lord. I pray, dear God, that you'll, you'll touch everyone here tonight, Lord God, that you'll stir us up, Lord, that you'll bring other verses and other passages to mind, Lord, that you'll challenge us, Lord, to, to seek you more, to get to know you more and more every day, Lord. We thank you, dear God, that you have not hidden yourself, that you've made yourself available to us, Lord. And we just want to give you all the glory, Lord, and all the praise. Amen.